0: For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is closest in relationship with the Father has made him known. I think the truth is that there's two of the most unfair things in the world, and we, if we were to compile this year of what's most unfair about life, we'd be here a while, I think, if I know you guys. But for me, for my money, it's these two principles. And the first one, I've shared it before in relationships, but it's called the law of least love. And it's pretty well known out there in places where people are looking for others, and they're in that dating phase of life. But the law of least love goes something like this, that the one who loves the most is the least in control of the relationship. Now, if you've ever been in a bad breakup, I don't have to explain that at all, because uh, you love the most, and and you're not in control, and the person who loves the least is the one who has the most power in the relationship. It hurts. Uh, The second is is kind of like Unto It, uh, corollary, and that is that the more love that you feel, the more pain you will feel. So, uh, pain and uh, love go, they're directly correlated. And the higher the love, the more the pain. Which doesn't that seem unfair? Come on. Yeah. You ever say amen in church? You can at least say that, right?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah this is uh, another way of saying it. it's, a, it's a little more um, uh, it's severe. When you love someone more than they deserve, you will always end up with more pain than you deserve. So that kind of amplifies that. But the basic principle is more love, more pain. So uh, with that in mind, uh, I think I've shared this in the last year, uh, just a dear friend of mine who uh, I've walked through a lot of life with and he's taught me a lot, and a Christian counselor guy, uh, he uh, lost his wife suddenly in a car wreck after 45 years of marriage. And I... I've gotten together with him either in person or via Skype or phone calls at least once a month for the last year and just listened to the sobbing that's on the other end and it's just he's just so sad and we talked about that principle that the more you love the more pain you will feel and you can say oh she's in a better place but that doesn't really help the pain I mean maybe it takes a little bit of the edge off but he loved her so much and he feels uh, so hurt in all this more positive or uh, yeah, positive way of viewing this principle, uh, more love, more pain is uh, this was years ago before I became a pastor. I listened to a pastor talk about this was back in the '80s when pastors were uh, yielding to sexual temptation by the way they don 't do that anymore, so just anyway, he was telling me uh, how one of the ways that helped him to not give in to sexual temptation, and that was uh, that it was the thought in his mind of having to tell his children that he had been unfaithful to their mother and that thought was like it was like a guardrail for him as the way he walked out his life he imagined the hurt that it would cause and then he remembered the love that was real in his family and he didn't want to go there so this principle can work in our favor as well Going to be talking about this a bit today. So uh, it has a lot to do with God coming into our world, loving us, and experiencing pain. And this is in John's uh, prologue. We're calling it Too Big for Words. And uh, uh, Matthew and Luke give us the Christmas story. They kind of give us these uh, facts about what actually happened way back when. But John doesn't give us the facts, he gives us the meaning behind the facts. He talks about about the why of God coming into our world. So he has a little deeper uh, reflection on this, and we're going to walk through these words today, witness, we'll find a witness there, and we'll find uh, the word world, which has two different meanings that we'll explore, and then we'll get into the word receive, and so... um, there's a witness that comes onto the scene. We find, we're going to be in verses 6 through 13. And in verses, I think it's 6 through 8, there's a name mentioned. And this, this name, he is a witness to God coming into the world. And I'm just going to ask the question here. Who is it? Who's the witness? John. Now, well, you have to be careful here because who wrote this gospel? John. We're talking about two different Johns, okay? So that's one of the things about reading the Bible. There's lots of Marys, and there's at least two Johns, so you have to kind of sort those out. So this is, the the, the person we're talking about here, his his name is John the Baptist, Baptist, and have you ever met a Baptist, by the way? Some of you, anybody here grew up in a Baptist church? Yeah. And so Baptists, uh, they're wonderful. Uh, I'm not saying anything about that. But if you know Baptists in, in America, uh, how, do they, how do they look on a Sunday compared maybe with us? More, More dressed up. Yeah, they're, they're just a little bit. Uh, so I have actually a, a photo. Uh, John the Baptist will surprise you if you know anything about him. And here we go. That is not John the Baptist. That is me in college. I had to get the, Yeah. And I put that in there because I've seen some of you in college and you too look like John the Baptist. You guys out there that don't have as much hair right now. Okay. It's hard to see. That's kind of blurry. I think I was on drugs. Oh, never mind. Yep. Okay. Truth be told. This was before I met Jesus Christ. All right. There he is. I got this off that thing called the web. All right. And this is a prototype, at least, of John the Baptist. Does he look like a Baptist that you would meet in a Baptist church? That's my point here. No, not at all. And he's actually, though, he's eating something. And so his diet, we are told, the Bible tells us, uh, was made up of uh, insects. Uh, Locust, the special kind of delicacy there in the insect world. And he also ate honey with it, which you might think, well, that'll sweeten up the insects. But I had a friend tell me, who knows something about bees, that honey is really just bee vomit. I just... Put an end to the honey sales. But it is, it's true. They, that's what a bee does. They go around, they take it in, and they spit it out, and you get to eat it on your toast or whatever, on your pancakes over there. <laughs> yeah, that'll. So, what you can learn in church, huh? <laughs> But that's what John did. Now, John, he comes, the first five verses that we looked at last week were really deep verses about God before time and the Trinity, was God with God, life and light. And now we come into history and it's really important that, so we're on the timeline now of history. In fact, John the Baptist is mentioned by other sources outside the Bible, Josephus being one who was a first century historian. And he talks about this John the Baptist uh, as a real figure in history. And, of course, all of our our gospel writers talk about him. He played a significant role. And what John is telling us here, John the gospel writer is telling us about John the Baptist, is that he was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. He... Some of you are going to watch football later today. He's not the quarterback. He's the offensive lineman that makes way for the quarterback. He's not the main event. He's the prelim. He's the, the one who sets things up. That's his role. And uh, he comes on the scene. Kind of a crazy, uh, wild, eccentric, aesthetic uh, fanatic he, he's, his gospel is not the same as Jesus's gospel Jesus's gospel is about uh, the love of God in the kingdom of God and John is mostly about repentance repent and make way for God to come he, he's very strict uh, well he wear I didn't mention his clothing it's camel it's made out of camel hair if you think your clothes are a little itchy today try that on for yeah so he's just he's just a little strange now, what I want you to know about him as a witness is I want, you, I want to increase his credibility by saying something that would not necessarily be perceived that way. But as a person of faith, um, I think you understand that we need people who are witnesses to us, who are human. And so I'm going to give you a dark moment in John's life, which we find not in John's Gospels, but in, in uh, Luke, for example. So John uh, was Jesus' cousin, and he bore witness to Jesus, and we have lots of evidence of he he baptized Jesus. But later on, uh, John got in trouble with the uh, political authorities and uh, one of Herod's offspring. And he was thrown in prison. And during that time in prison, John, it seems, experienced some personal darkness. The one who bore witness to the light was experiencing personal darkness. Maybe depression. And here he is in prison, and he, he had borne witness to Jesus as the Messiah. And he thought Messiah meant the one who would have all this power. And John is Jesus' cousin, and John's in prison, and why are you not doing anything for me, kind of like we would think? And during that time, John doubts who Jesus is. And he sends emissaries or friends to find out from Jesus, are you the Messiah or should we expect someone else? And Jesus says to him very clearly, the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, uh, the poor are being preached to. I mean, he gives a list and that's his answer to John. But I, I wanted to give you that sort of um, dark side of John's story to let you know that this witness has credibility to people like us who experience darkness. I think that's valuable for us to hear. Anyway I'm going to go on to that word world and we find this word in um, it's written in verse 10 and I'll read it for you because it's going to appear, it's one of John's favorite words and it's kind of tricky he uses it two different ways begins out, he, and that he there would be Jesus, who he's going to name down in verse 17. He's holding back Jesus' name. He said, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, remember John last week said that Jesus or or the eternal son of God, before he was Jesus of Nazareth, eternally he was the son of God, and the world was made through him. Uh, And the world then, when he came into this world, it did not recognize him. So we're going to look at that word "world" and it's the Greek word "cosmos," uh, which we actually have in our vocabulary, but it has a different, uh, little different twist to it. So let's start out with the first uh, meaning, and w- the first meaning, uh, and it's found here in that in that verse. "World" means creation; it means uh, that which God has made. And Genesis chapter one talks about. God making the world uh, in in that great uh, song or poem of Genesis chapter 1. And after, there's kind of a rhythm to it. At the end of each day, God says what? It is good. God loves the created world. He, He loves, if I can put it this way, he loves stuff. And he loves people. Of all the stuff, he loves people the most. And that's that, that Greek word that it, we mentioned last week is the word bios. It's bios, life. And humanity is, con- and, and the Bible is, def- is uh, conferred the crown of creation upon, uh, and we have life in that way. So, God, God it's very positive use of the word world. However, the second one, and this is the word that John is also using here, and he uses it a lot, and he has a very negative view of the world. Not the created order, but the order that is kind of at work in the world, the mindset that is without God, the mindset that has no room for questions outside of this um, 70, 80, whatever year period that we get to live this life. It doesn't want to deal with bigger questions, everything is, what you see is all there is, Uh, it's secularism, or however you want to call it, but it's life without God, and it's ultimately life that is opposed to God. And so I'll ask you the question, what will you be doing? Look at your your calendar right now, look at your watch, and what are you doing a thousand years from now? It's a fair question if you don't have a secular view. I'll meet you in a thousand years at nine o'clock in the morning, how's that? We'll be together. And we can make that appointment on our calendar if we don't adopt this limited mindset. And John, or the Bible writers, call that mindset being worldly. And it's allowing the world's mindset to shape you as a person. Not good. So here's, now here's the amazing thing. This is like the punchline. (laughs) We know that God, we, we know this because we, te- we learned it in Sunday school, what is God loves the world, right? When we say that, we're talking about this, number two. Of course, we're talking about number one. He loves the world. Created stuff. But he loves that world that hates him. That's... That's the part that we really need to hear. So some of you later today, again, you're going to watch a football game, and if there's an extra point or a uh, field goal, if you look there, usually, NFL games anyway, there's a verse, what do we got? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. That's the, we're talking about this number two use of the word world there. In other words, God loves his enemies. Kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around. And we it might just seem too far out there, but you know, in my, I'm, I'm sure you know parents, maybe you are a parent or a, maybe a grandparent, but I've known parents who love their kids when their kids are giving them nothing but hell. And I mean hell. They are hurting them. Back to that that law of the more love, the more pain. They are only experiencing pain in return from their kids. And yet they will say, I am not going to stop loving my child. That is my child. There's nothing they could do. Take what they've already done, and all it's caused me is pain. Multiply it by ten, and I still love them. That's what we're talking about here. The more... Love, the more pain. Okay, that's two sides of that word. World, and then the third word is the word receive. Let me read to you what I think is the saddest uh, verse in the Bible. Others have noted this. Uh, the second part of was well, verse ten. I'll read the whole thing. He was in the world. God was in the world through Jesus Christ, and Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So let me, let me summarize that. Uh, God, out, out of the center of life, as we know it, or in the center of life, is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. A relationship of love. God was never alone. God has never been lonely. He created us out of the fullness of that love. And he owns us. And his fingerprints are all over us. And when he shows up in our world, we don't recognize him. How can that be? Isn't that sad? I mean, there's, there's something that should, if we're functioning as human beings, there should be a little tear sometimes when we hear that, that says that is sad. It's, it's John's way of saying there is no room in the end there's no room for god okay so let me try to illustrate from life experience at least a taste of that this is a this is a, a hopefully it'll help us feel that more deeply or help us get more clarity. When I was in my business life, this was back in the 80s, uh, I had to come to Seattle frequently for business stuff, in Bellevue particularly, and uh, I got a call one day that we needed to uh, pick up something in the kent tuckwilla area, the most beautiful part of Seattle, right? <laughs> That's my joke, come on.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's all warehouses down there. And at least it was back then. And so I said, okay, I can, I can swing by there on my way back to Olympia. And uh, the delivery truck that we had, usually were, they were the ones that would pick that stuff up. And I said, okay. I'll, and they said, you need to call it in because um, we didn't know if we were going to get a hold of you. So I got this call. I, I called, in, called in the order in. And uh, I went by there to pick it up. And I went to the, the will call area or the delivery, the ramp thing. And they wouldn't give it to me. They wouldn't give me the the product. And I said, um, you know, I I tried to explain who I was and what had happened. They were used to seeing our delivery guys with our delivery truck, and they refused to give me the product. And I said, but... uh, well and then they said, yeah, and the boss called in this order. (laughs) And I said, I'm the boss. And I'm the boss. You know, can, can't you just give it to me? And they wouldn't give it to me. I showed him my business card. I did all this stuff. They finally I said, call the delivery guy." So they called my delivery guys, and they gave me permission for me to pick it up. <laughs>
1: I, I mean, I, that's just like, uh, how do you not?
0: I'm trying to give you a sense of what God must feel. And then it says that, that they did not receive him. Verse uh, 11. Not only did they not recognize him, he came into that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So here's, a, here's another story. When I was roughly eight years old, and I think this has probably happened to a lot of at least boys, because it's kind of a boy story, but I got really mad at my dad uh, one time. It was a family picnic, and I don't even remember the reason for getting so upset with him, but uh, at least when I was eight, and I, and I have kids to know that this happens. I wasn't the only one this has ever happened to, but I kind of lost it. And I fell apart in a very public way at a, a family picnic. And I, it went from, you know, being mad to just being totally uh, out of control. And I remember at the worst point doing this to my dad, you know, eight-year-old fists, flying, just flying, yeah, out of control, trying to hit him and my dad dad's I think you know somewhere along the line we learn these things but we if you just hold him out here a little bit the fists don't they really don't get you and you just kind of hold him out and he's you know he cries just you know and I hate you I hate you I hate you those words to my dad and then, you know, he could kind of. I think dads also know that there's kind of a time there where they're, you, you feel like the, they're, they're getting tired. And then he, instead of pushing me away, he starts pulling me towards himself. And then, you know, you, you're, your head's right here. And it's really hard to hit then, you know. How do you do that? and eventually you get so tired you just kind of do this and you feel this and there's a sense of I am your son and I'm sorry for what I said and I feel bad but I'm loved and that's what God is about. I mean, my dad was the one who, you know, brought me into life in a sense. I mean, it was, he's the one who provided for me. He was good to me most of the time, not all the time, but, you know, Here I was, this little tantrum. And then, you know, in that story, we we feel bad. At some point, we feel bad. And it's just the the most amazing part is that it's when we feel bad, like, why did I ever do that kind of bad? It's right at that point that we feel the strongest arms of God around us. Like, my love is bigger than your hate. (laughs) I don't care how much you hurt me, I'm your God. I'm the one that made you. I'm the one that loved you. Yeah. So um, there's this ugly part of the whole story that I have to mention, and that is the cross. And So God, he comes into this world, and, um, and the worst thing, the ugliest thing that we could possibly do, we did. I mean, we, we, we're all kind of guilty. We have blood on our hands. And um, so the story goes. We were all responsible for putting him in that place. And now here's the here's the trick. And, and I, I mean this: if you're if you're a person that gets it, you'll get it about who God is and this ugly thing that we do to Him. And the question is: is there any beauty in it? And artists have made their point throughout the ages. I mean, the crucifixion of Christ is one of the most you know go to go to any uh, art museum, at least in classical. Art, or um, I mean, the crucifix is—it's portrayed as, at least in some places, as a terrible beauty. And it's in that beauty that the Greek world was always looking for. And why is it beautiful? How could the cross be so beautiful when it's so ugly? And it has to do with this—this this bad pain stuff we did, and we still get love in return. There's something beautiful about that. And you, and you start to get it. You start to think about who God is. At the core of who He is, He, he has experienced so much pain out of that love. And this is where that, back to that, um, if I can get that back up there again. When you love someone more than they deserve, you will always end up with more pain than you deserve. But God's love is greater then the pain he feels. His love is expressed in the pain that he feels. And as bad as we feel when we hear about that, he doesn't let us just stay bad. He, he does this to us. He puts his arm around us. He says, I love you. I don't care how many times you tell me I hate you, I love you. That is the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is the love of God expressed in Christ coming into our world. Can we pray? Let's just close our eyes, pray. I'll try to lead us. God, we thank you for this picture of yourself that we get. And each of us has questions to ask. I know that. Um, Voices that we are considering. But can we see ourselves, Jesus? Can we see ourselves in this story? Can we see ourselves? secure in the loving arms of a father. It says here that to anyone who believes and receives this message of love, they shall be your child. And can we see ourselves as your child? And if we can see ourselves in that, Lord, maybe we're just an inch away from faith and to walk into that, into your loving arms. Can we see ourselves flailing against you, saying, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, and yet see and feel your arms wrapping around us? Or do we just see ourselves keeping a distance? Staying safely away. And maybe knowing that you're still patient with us. Your love is not giving up on us. Wherever we are, Lord, I pray that we could take a step towards you. That we could give in to that love in a better way, in a bigger way than we ever have before. We thank you that you were willing to experience great pain on our behalf for us. Amen. Come now, Lord, and warm us from the inside out with your love, your amazing love, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.